We need a big mighty God and we got one. Amen. It's always an honor and privilege to be here this morning and um, really appreciate y'all's expressions of appreciation. Just want y'all to know I appreciate y'all. It's been a privilege to be your pastor. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to be wrapping up um, Jesus is all of that discourse, so it's been quite a journey. But as we do, we're going to talk this morning about the final judgment. The final judgment. Before we do, let's pray together again. Father, just, uh, just I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to gather with these brothers and sisters to worship you. I thank you, God, for this, the words that you spoke 2,000 years ago to your disciples. They are as relevant today as they were then. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit speaks to the churches. Help us to hear your voice today, Lord. Help us all in this room, God, be be moved, Lord, to faithful service, to earnest zealous service for you knowing God that judgment's coming that the master will return to render to each one according to their deeds and Lord we want to hear your commendation well done God help us to serve you in a way that we may hear those words from you when you come for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter um, 25. Hold on. I, I think I put the wrong passage in my notes here. It will be like a man going on a journey. Yeah, okay. It's 25. <laughs> Sorry. 25. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 14 and following. So we are wrapping up the, the Olivet Discourse. So this is Jesus' most extended teaching on the end times. And he is giving us here, as, as chapter 25 rounds out, he's giving us here these two images. It's the images of the stewards. Okay, the stewards. And then he gives us actual, an actual description of the final judgment. We can't even really call that a, a parable exactly. He actually just says what it's going to be like when he comes. And so these two together uh, clue us in and dial us in about the, the meaning of the final judgments, the significance of the final judgment, and how to be ready for the final judgment, which is should be literally the greatest concern of every person. All right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how great you are in this life. It doesn't matter the things that you've achieved. It doesn't matter what status you attained in this world. None of it matters if you get to the end of life 
and you stand before God and He says that you wasted it. And so, if, if, we, if we're not going to waste our lives, we have to understand what God made us for and how He expects us to live in anticipation of His return. That's what we're going to talk about as we talk about the final judgment this morning. If you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read a long section here from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. This is what Jesus says. Again, talking about his return. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So... Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people, one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was uh, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or 
naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God, you may be seated. So we're going to talk about the final judgment this morning. And we're going to explore this under three headings. Number one, we're going to be judged according to stewardship. Judged according to stewardship. Number two, judged according to service. Judged according to service. And number three, judged according to salvation and severity. Judged according to salvation and severity. So, as we close out the Olivet Discourse, we see these two pictures of the final judgment. And the first one is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, to me, is a, is a very important passage. And I think it's one of the most important images given in the Bible of what, it, of what it means to live life as a Christian. It gives us, I think, one of the, the quintessential images and, and, and kind of narratives that we should think about our, our lives in terms of so that we don't fall into the trap that Jesus is warning us against of being lulled to sleep by the things of the world and thereby being caught off guard when he returns. And so I think it's really for us uh, to think, important for us to think carefully about the parable of the stewards because it helps us to keep the big picture in mind about what's really going on in the world and what's really going on in human history. The reality of a final judgment gives Christians a very specific view of life, a very specific view of history, and it's, it is rather unique. Unlike some Eastern religions, for example, we don't believe in karma. Life is not what goes around comes around. There is no reincarnation. We don't get another shot. Okay? There's not just this endless circle of time. Life is headed, history is headed in a single direction. And one day, the the story is going to come to an end. Nor is the Christian story like a secular, atheistic, materialistic view of the world. In that view, there's really no such thing as meaning or morality, because all those things are merely constructed by humans. We are nothing more than highly evolved animals that happened by chance to come about uh, through time and matter and energy and natural forces that just happen to collide in a certain way that produced us over time. All that happens in history in this view 
doesn't ultimately matter and will eternally be forgotten because one day all the stars will burn out and all the energy in the universe will dissipate perfectly into the heat death of the cosmos and nothing ultimately matters or has any meaning whatsoever. This is not the Christian story of the world. The Christian story of the world is that everything exists for one purpose, and that is for the, for the good and wise purposes of an omnipotent and eternal God. And history is not circular, it's linear. It goes straight, it has a definite beginning, and will have a definite end, and this beginning and end is not impersonal, it's not blind, it's not meaningless, it's, it, it's, it's, it's profoundly personal. That is that the God who created all things is a personal God, that, can, that knows and can be known, and that all of, all of his creatures relate to him in one way or another. And as his creatures, and as human beings especially, who were of all creatures made in his image and have been given minds and capacities and wills and, and choice, all right, because we are created in such a way, we all re- relate to God in one way or another, And so we either honor him or we dishonor him. We we either say, thy will be done, or we say, my will be done. But we all relate to God in some way. And that history is going in a particular direction. That literally all of human history is at the the order and command of God from the creation of Adam and Eve to the choosing of Adam to the outplaying of the history of Israel to to the word of God uh, becoming flesh in in history 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And that now all of human history is bound up in the gospel being proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so history is going in a straight line in a single direction. It's approaching a singular point where God's patience, God's mercy is extending into the world through the proclamation of the gospel to where undeserving sinners can have their sins forgiven and not held against them as a gift of God through His Son. That wherever people repent of their sins and believe in Jesus who lived, who died, who rose again, who is now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who is coming back one day through repentance and faith in Him, our sins are forgiven... We enter into a personal relationship with God where we know Him and He knows us so that when Christ returns, He'll either say, I know you, or He'll say, Who are you? That's what's coming. And this parable, this, this uh, picture of the, the, the talents, is I think one of the great analogies that we have. It's the, it's the image of a servant, of a slave, that the Bible just, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. In ancient times, now, because we have to understand things on, in, in their terms, right? In ancient times, a servant or slave could attain an incredibly high position within a, in a household. You can think of Joseph, for example, right? And he was, he was literally set over all of Potiphar's affairs, Right? And in the same way, even when Joseph became second in power 
to the king to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, right? He was still technically a servant, right, of Pharaoh, but he was still in charge of all of Egypt. And in the same way, in the same way, this image is is that of of stewards. Right? That that we are servants, slaves of God in his household, and that he entrusts to each of us certain responsibilities within his household that he expects us to be taken care of. And so there's a couple particular and particularly important truths that I, I want to draw from this analogy as we think about the parable of the talents. Number one, that we have to remember is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The servants were given all of it. So in this parable, you know, Jesus, you know, he's, he's speaking in terms that they would understand. And of course, there's some extravagance here, but people would grasp what Jesus is saying, right? Five talents. So a talent was, in terms of weight, was roughly about 75 pounds, okay? Now, beyond that, in, in terms of value, a talent of gold would be worth approximately 20 years' wages for a day laborer. So five talents, five talents would be more money than a person could hope to earn in their lifetime. And, and so the master is incredibly rich, and he entrusts this to his servant, Okay? And so the, the point there is that it's the master's goods. It's the master's stuff. We own nothing and God owns everything. Right? Everything that we have belongs to God. Your time is God's. Your money is God's. Your children are God's. Your house is God's. Your family is God's. Your Energy, your strength, your health is God's. Not a single hair on your head belongs to you. It all belongs to God who has entrusted it to us for a brief season to use it for his purposes. And the question is, will we use God's stuff for God's purposes or will we waste it on ourselves? Because I don't know what you think, but if you're wasting someone else's possessions and then they show up, they're not going to be too happy about it. It all belongs to God. The second thing we can see here is that God entrusts different things to different people. This has always stood out to me about the parable of the talents. He doesn't give everyone the same amount. It says he entrusts to each one according to their ability. We talked about this at prayer meeting recently, and I encourage you all to start coming to prayer meeting. If you have a good reason, I'd be glad to hear why it is that you don't come to prayer meeting. You can talk to me after the service. But we're having a wonderful time at prayer meeting having some really great discussions. And we talked about this recently. But the truth is, is if you're in this room, God has entrusted to you an insane amount of goods. 
If you were born in the United States in the 20th century or later, you essentially have won the cosmic lottery. Because you were born in the probably the most prosperous, richest, most comfortable, secure nation that has ever existed on the history in the history of the world. That's not an exaggeration. Even the poorest people in America have have um, many of the poorest people in America have luxuries that kings did not have in ancient times. Do you know that? You know how many kings in ancient times had air conditioning? Zero. Uh, ice on demand. You know how many people in Africa have ice? You take it for granted, don't you? Different people receive different things. You did not choose to be born here. You didn't. So we can say all that we want about hard work and stuff like that. I'm all for hard work. But the fact of the matter is that, that you even have the ability and capacity and opportunity to earn wealth and, and, and things like that. That in and of itself is a gift from God. Because you could have been born 2,000 years ago in sub-Saharan Africa. But you weren't. You were born to be here, now, in this place. Why? Because God chose it to be. Because he wanted you here, this time, in this place, to entrust to you what he has so that you could serve your purposes that he has, his purposes that he has for you in your generation. This bothers some people that God does this, but the fact of the matter is, it's all God's stuff, so he can do whatever he wants with it. And if he gives to one servant one thing and to another servant something else, who am I, who is the, who is the servant to question the master? The potter, the, the clay doesn't get to tell the potter what to do. God, in his wisdom, has entrusted different things to different people so we can either complain about it, or we can choose to be faithful to what we have been giving, knowing that a reckoning is coming. And it's not always, it's not always a better thing to have more. Why? Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much will be required. And it's going to be a sad estate for many people whom God gave an insane amount of stewardship over and they wasted it all on things that don't matter. Let me tell you something. Everyone in this room, we already have more than enough to give an account for. I'm not sure that I need much more. God entrusts different things to different people. We got to be faithful to what God gives us. We don't choose the hand that we're dealt in life, but we, are choose, we do choose how we play it. The question is, will we be faithful to what the master has, with what the Master has entrusted to us? And the, a, a final thing I want to see here is that stewardship is a privilege. Stewardship is a privilege. It says there that when he, the, the one who received the five talents, it says he went out at once and traded with them. The, the at once there 
shows that he did not delay in putting to work what the master had given to him. I want to tell you this morning, it's a privilege to serve God. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. You know how many people wake up in the morning and just live their lives, but they have no idea what they're even living for? They wake up in the morning and they just, they go through the motions, but they don't even, they don't even know, or, or they, they may even wonder, does my life even matter? Does it even make a difference in this world? I just want to say, it's a privilege to serve God, because if you serve God, you can wake up in the morning, and if all you do that day is change dirty diapers, you can know that your life makes an eternal difference in the world. Because Jesus said, no one will give a cup of cold water in his name without receiving a reward. It's a privilege to serve God. There's nothing like serving God. The psalmist said, in Psalm 84, he said, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who serves the Lord. And so we will be judged according to stewardship. We will be judged according to what we did with the master's possessions. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, this is what I gave you. What do you got to show for it? And when that time comes, we'll have one or two responses. Either we'll be able to say, here, master, you gave me this and look what it's produced. Or we'll say, I got nothing more than what I started with. We'll be judged according to stewardship. Number one. Number two, we will be judged according to service. We'll be judged according to service. In, the, in verses 31 and following, Jesus gives this image of his return. He's going to come in glory. And the angels with him, he's going to sit on his throne. So Jesus is the king. He's the ruler of the universe, of the world. So all these, uh, all these nations and all, these, all this vying for political power, it's all vanity. Because when Jesus comes and sets up his throne, he's going to be unchallengeable. No one's going to be able to say, hey, that's where I sit. No, Jesus is going to say, no, this is, this is my throne. I'm the king of the universe. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. He's going to come. He's going to sit on his throne, the angels with him. And then at that moment is, will be the day of judgment. He says he will gather all, all the people will be gathered. 
So that this is that this is what's going to happen, right? The whole world will be gathered. The, the, the dead will be raised, and they will be gathered before God. So death is not an escape from what you did with your life. Because God's going to raise you from the dead, and you're still going to have to give an account. Let me tell you something. That's good news. Right? That's good news. Why? Because think about Hitler. Coward. Killed himself. Before he could be captured. He never got to stand before a, a trial in a court of law to account for the crimes that he's done. He's accounting for them now. And he will be raised from the dead and stand before God one day and will have to give an account for what he did. Nobody escapes. God will render perfect justice. He will sit on his throne. He will gather the nations to him and he will separate the world as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the sheep will go on his right hand and the goats on his left. And according to this, according to what Jesus is saying here, there's a way, there's a way, there's something that identifies the sheep and there's something that identifies the goats. And what is it? It's service. That's what he says. It's service. What you have done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. When Jesus says my brothers, we know that he primarily has acts of love and service to fellow believers, though that is not our only obligation. He especially has that in mind, and that is especially that is an especial that is a special identifying mark of believers. Is that believers love all people, especially other believers. And that people who and that if those who are true believers in Christ are going to be keen to do good to all people, especially other believers. Even those who are in the lowest positions in the world's eyes. And so this is what Jesus is saying. No one within the community of faith should ever go hungry or thirsty or naked. That's just a fact. Again, we were talking about this uh, the other Wednesday night. The church, I think, especially here in America, has let government programs, has let government programs give us an excuse for doing what has been the responsibility of the church for 2,000 years. That is taking care of our own people. It's our job to make sure that there aren't hungry or thirsty, unwelcome, sick, and uncared for, imprisoned and unvisited people among us. So the next time you feel reluctant to serve someone else or are tempted to let other things consume your time rather than meet a need that you see, just remember this. When you do it for one of the least of these, you're doing it to Jesus himself. So, so, If Jesus 
If you saw Jesus on the side of the street, would you stop and give him a ride? If you know that Jesus was hungry, would you feed him? We would say, oh, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. But Jesus says, if you didn't do it, for the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it for me. It's the service, especially the service to the saints, that is the identifying marker of the goats. And this, this is a consistent of the sheep. And this is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. That is, that Christianity is more than just believing the right things, but that works of love and service always flow from genuine faith. Or as James put it, faith without works is dead. In 1 John 3, it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It can't. It can't. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Or as Jesus put it, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How do you know that somebody's a disciple? Because they love one another. And again, consistently in the Bible, love is not just a feeling. It's self-sacrifice for the good of another. And so this is remarkable that we, that the sheep here are those who serve the saints. And what is remarkable is that when it comes to the end, and this is, this is how we know that even here, even here where it's talking about uh, the, the service to the saints, even here we're not talking about works-based salvation. The, the, the good works is not the, the, the reason for the salvation, it's the evidence of their salvation. And the reason we know that is because when Jesus comes and says, hey, you did this and this, the people who did it said, what are you talking about? When did I do that? You see, if you, if you live your life trying to earn your salvation, you remember everything that you do. Because you're, you're getting ready to stand before Jesus so that you can lay out your case of all the things that you've done so that he'll let you into heaven. But the true sheep are the ones who are already saved, who are humbly serving others, such that when Jesus comes and says, you did this, this, and this, they won't even remember doing it. Jesus has to remind them of all the things that they did for him. Because they weren't doing it to earn their salvation. They were doing it because God had saved them. And because God had treated them in ways that they didn't deserve, they treat others the same way. And so that's how you know. That's how you know. We will be judged according to our service. Love and service of the saints is one of the, is one of the marks and the signs of a genuine believer in Christ.
And when he comes and separates the world, that will be the evidence for us. So number one, we're judged according to stewardship. Number two, judged according to service. And then finally, number three, judged according to salvation and severity. Judged according to salvation and severity. So both of these tell us in their own way what it's going to be like. Judgment is coming. Jesus, in, this, in the parable of the talents, said that it's like a master uh, going away um, on a journey. Again, I think it's another pointer to Jesus' teaching that there, there would be an extended, indefinite period of time uh, before his return. And the master is coming back. And when he comes, he's going to settle accounts. And the one who had been given five talents gained five talents more. The one who had been given two talents gained two talents more. And when the master came back, they were able to say, they were, they were excited, right? Don't you want to be excited when Jesus comes back? They were excited. They say, all right, now here's my chance. Lord, look. What you gave me, look what it's produced. The life that you gave me, look what you were able to do with it. They were thrilled. They were faithful at doing the master's business. And when he comes, there's this big smile on the master's face. Big smile. Well done. Well, good job. You did it. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. By the way, five talents in ancient times, that's not a little. But it is a little. It's a little compared to what God is going to set his people over in the age to come. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Have you ever thought about the fact that there's no one happier than God? There's no one who, like God, who's never frustrated. Whose will is perfectly always done. There's no joy like the joy of God. There's no joy like the joy of heaven. Have you ever wondered why people will spend their whole lives trying to get somebody's approval? Have you ever wondered that? Have, have you ever wondered how um, there are some people, maybe, maybe, they're, maybe their parents are already deceased, and yet the way they still live their lives is trying to earn their approval. Maybe it's the approval of um, a child. Maybe it's approval of a, a boss or an employer. Maybe it's approval of colleagues or coworkers or friend group or professor or teacher. There's this, there's this, there's this something built into the heart of humanity that we just can't escape. This, this sense 
that in order to know that we're okay, we have to have somebody's approval. It's unshakable. It's, it's etched in stone upon our hearts. And I would say, I would say it's because it's true. We were made to have somebody's approval. God's approval. So the question then is whose approval are we seeking? It won't matter a billion years from now what your parents thought about you. It won't matter a billion years from now what your family thinks about you. It won't matter a billion years from now what your employer thinks about you. What the government thinks about you. What those friends think about you, what those colleagues think about you. You know what's going to matter a billion years from now? What does God have to say about your life? I don't know about you, but I want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And there is joy in Christ. There is no joy like it. But that's not the only option. There was another servant. And he took the talent. And he put it in the ground. Right? Because, I mean, you know, there's no, there's no safety deposit boxes. Right? You got to keep it safe. You dig a hole. Put it in the ground. He, what, what, what's the servant's error? What's the servant's error? Because, you know, we like to rationalize things. You know, we like to, we like to, people like to play the devil's advocate today. And they'll say, well, what's the big, you know, that master's a little harsh. What's the big deal? I mean, he got back what was his. But that misses the whole point, isn't it? Doesn't it? They took the master's good and, His error, his failure was this. He didn't, it's not that he just wasted it per se. It's that he didn't do anything with it. He didn't do anything with it. He did nothing for the master's business. Nothing for the master's purposes. Now think about that. Think about that. When we've been entrusted with so much, there is a moral obligation to do something with it. To not just waste it. If, 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 if a, if a, you know, in, in your workplace, right, and they, they give you all these resources and all these tools that you need to do your job and they come back and they say, well, okay, where's the work? And you say, well, I didn't, I, you know, everything you gave me is still here, but that's not what they're looking for. What did you, what have you been doing this whole time? When Jesus comes back, are we going to have anything to show for our lives that he gave us. 
And you see, that's the great, that's the great error. And this is the great danger of life. Is that to rebel against God, to waste your life, all you have to do is nothing. You don't have to go be a serial killer. You don't have to go rob a bank. To waste your life, all you have to do is nothing that really matters. That's it. And what will God what will God do when he returns? He will say take that talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The other image here says the same thing. When they are confronted Jesus says, I was hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick in prison. You did not minister to me. They'll say, well, when did we do that? And he'll say, when you didn't do it for the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it for me. These, he says, will go away into eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. So we'll be judged according to stewardship. We'll be judged according to service. We'll be judged according to salvation and severity. The world one day is going to be divided into two. That's what's coming. It's going to be divided into two. Joy of your master. Weeping and gnashing of teeth going to be divided into two and it won't be Republican or Democrat it won't be American Chinese French or German it will be did you know love Serve and trust me. That's what it will be. There's glory and wonder in that, isn't there? Because it means this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter whether you grew up with tons of opportunities or no opportunities. If you will take whatever you got and give it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I will take what you've given me and I will do everything I possibly can, however much or however little it is, and I will give it for you. Then it doesn't matter anything else in your life. When he comes, you will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And if you never hear well done 
from anyone else the rest of your life. If you hear it from Jesus, when you stand before him, it will be enough. It will be enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, what a privilege it is to serve you. God, I want to be excited when you come back, eager to show you all that you were able to do through the life you've given me. And I know every brother and sister in Christ in this room, that is their desire as well. So God, help us. God, forgive us where we've been distracted. God, forgive us where we have been lulled to sleep, allured by the things of this world. God, let the scales fall this morning. Help us to see clearly, God, maybe in a way that we haven't seen in years, God. Help us. God, live for you. Help us to see you, Lord Jesus, in the face of everyone that we have opportunity to serve. Help us, God, to take the, what you have entrusted to us and be faithful with it and hear that commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord Jesus, I pray this morning, maybe there's somebody listening. And they have yet to enter your service. I just pray this morning that they have seen that you are a kind and good and merciful master. That no one who comes to you, you will turn away. And that they could enter your service today through repentance and faith. And... (laughs) And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And have your lavish blessings poured out upon them. So that they can begin serving you. And to know that their life will matter forever. I pray that that may happen today in Jesus name. Amen. We have an opportunity now to respond to the